0: Today on the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about Star Trek Discovery. back. I'm your host, Chris Bashan. Like I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to chat about the newest uh, expansion in the Star Trek pantheon, Star Trek Discovery, the latest TV series that is currently airing on CBS All Access. Um, as is typical for this podcast, I've brought on a group of experts who know Star Trek very well, but may not be in love with discovery itself uh my first expert is is sitting here in the room and what is your name sir uh dominic look glad to be back it's been a while it hasn't been a while what was the last show you were on yeah, before you left chicago it's it's oh uh, god yeah it's been a long time you were probably on episode 100 or whatever that, yes yes that, the big one the yes, big one the studio yes, yes the one that was a lot of things um so we have a lot to chat about discovery dominic um just the initial thought about it like if you had to put it in one word thought on discovery what would you cuz we you're a trek fan right yeah huge
1: trek fan big fan of grew up in the original series big fan of next gen ds9 my love for trek had kind of waned over enterprise rekindled with the reboot enjoyed a lot of things about that was looking forward to discovery watched the pilots and put it down <laughs>
0: okay yes um i do need to ask just to kind of like gauge where we are here um who's your favorite captain and your favorite show which one's your favorite show oh my,
1: my gosh depends on the day i mean you know it's for me it'll always boil down to kirk and picard i mean i love cisco i love parts of janeway there's even parts of scott Bakula on uh, enterprise i like i can't archer thank you can't remember his Whoa, name okay. but you know not a giant fan of the show uh, Jonathan
2: Archer, right? Uh, I guess maybe. so. Maybe. It took me a
1: second just to remember Archer, so his first name is a mystery. All right, all right. Um, So.
0: Okay. Well, hold on to your thoughts and feelings. Sure. We'll discuss very soon. Uh, my next expert has been on the show before, is over in Chicago. What's your name, my friend?
2: My name is Ryan Bond. Thanks for having me back. Whoa. It's been a long time. It
0: has been a long Were you also on the... No, we did a, a parenting
2: yeah. podcast. We did do a parenting one, but yeah. the big the big hoopla was also and the end of the move trip
0: yeah yeah um so kind of similar questions to you Ryan are you are, are you have you been a lifelong Star Trek fan
2: I stumbled into Star Trek uh, with my mom <laughs> introduced with TOS uh, as a kid uh, it went dormant and then picked it back up as TNG uh, just as it went on the air and yes ever since I've been a, a lifelong Star Trek fan okay
0: great uh, and same questions to you, kind of like what's a what's a like a one word or one sentence summary you would currently give Discovery as it is.
2: I'm happy it's on the air.
0: <laughs> oh great! All right, all right. That's that's actually a very positive thing. So um, and then finally, who is your favorite Captain slash show?
2: Well, those are two different things, right? Favorite Captain, be. favorite show. It can be
0: two different things. Yeah.
2: Um, I would say, but but for me, I probably think I found the most home inside the DS9 and Captain Benjamin Sisko, uh, or Commander Sisko as he originally started out, uh, just to kind of watch his growth as well as the characters that are incredibly flawed throughout that show, uh, which unlike TNG, many of them were quite pristine through a lot of that. So it was a great, great change to kind of watch that. And then they made their strides in, uh, Voyager after that, but I'd probably go with DS9. Okay.
0: Great. I mean, that's, that's a great answer. So, um, awesome. We'll hold on to your thoughts. We'll jump into this discussion very shortly. Uh, my last expert is also in Chicago and is new to the show. What is your name, my friend?
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Dylan Schaefer. Hi, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Welcome
0: to the show. I have unsuccessfully attempted to have you on numerous times, and it has never worked out. Um, yes (laughs) and your your wonderful wife has like always asked me like you gotta get Dylan on you gotta get Dylan on and it has never has the fates uh aligned (laughs) so I'm very happy that that we made this happen so thank you for joining us today Um, yes glad to be here so are you a Star Trek
3: fan yes I'm a very significant Star Trek fan
0: great um can you kind of give me just a quick like did you start with the original series Did you start with next generation where, where where did you enter into the fray
3: so yes i am actually not sure what i saw first it was either the next generation or the original series uh, i watched it with my dad when i was very young um, I think when I was three or four, I started watching it with him. Um, and my grandma actually had every single original series episode on Betamax, uh, Whoa. <laughs> which we, which she still has actually. Um, I don't know if we have a working Betamax player, but I did go through all of them on Beta, um, back when I was growing up, um, and... Uh, was definitely really into the Next Generation and the original series um, growing up. It took me a while to warm up to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, um, although I did eventually, and then I went back and watched all of Deep Space Nine and Voyager once we came into this brave new world of Netflix. Um, there were a lot that I had missed then. And i actually went through a period back when deep space nine i don't know who remembers this deep space nine was being shown every week on spike tv for a while <laughs> and so i started re-watching it then and i got through most of the series um so uh i did watch enterprise uh when it was on upn um, and or cw i guess it was i guess it, i guess it was cw by the time enterprise was on um, and I've pretty much watched everything uh, uh, from then on out, um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty well versed and pretty obsessive, you might say. And and
0: same question to you: if you were to give you know kind of a one word or one sentence summary to the current form of Star Trek Discovery, what would it be?
3: Um, I would say that Discovery is a. Sometimes successful and sometimes unsuccessful attempt to make Star Trek for a modern audience. I that's a very interesting
0: point, and I I want to come back around to that. But I have to ask you this follow up: Who is your favorite Captain slash show?
3: Uh, definitely Picard uh, and the Next Generation. Um, I yeah, it's not really a contest on that for me. Um, I think that. The writing and the character as a next generation have always been my favorite and the most consistent, um, save for season one. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have found that that's really my preferred Trek is the next generation in terms of, and that's my preferred um, feel of Trek as well. Okay.
0: Great. Um, well, let's let's dive right on in. Uh, I, we all have kind of varying degrees of familiarity and feelings about Discovery. So let me just kind of set the stage for our discussion. Um, uh, I just took down just a few notes I wanted to just kind of throw out to the playing field. So f- feel free to correct me uh, or chime in as, as we go through things. But uh, Discovery uh, launched in 2017 for CBS All Access uh, behind a paywall, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's set 10 years before the original series, roughly. Um, and when I was looking, looking up info about the show, there was a lot of drama, um, in the production of the show. Like, it was a big, uh, deal that Brian Fuller was, you know, uh, working on the show as showrunner. They brought Nicholas Meyer in as a consulting producer. And then there's all, you know, all these problems of the, uh, each episode cost an extraordinary amount of money and, and Fuller leaving the show over creative differences, at least one of the reasons they cited, and then there were other showrunners brought in, and then some of those people got fired, and there just seems like a lot of turbulence behind the show. Now, I've never seen it, despite being a really big Star Trek fan, because it's on CBS All Access, and I don't want to pay for that right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Does anybody need to piggyback off of any of those kind of stats I just threw down, or shall we jump right into it?
2: Well, I would say I don't have any stats to throw down, but I think when we, when my wife and I, who both her and I are really big Star Trek fans, and in, in addition to the turmoil that was behind the camera, their marketing campaigns really struggled to land with a position for where the show was is this a original series prequel is this a kelvin timeline jj abrams prequel where does it sit do these two shows kind of converge uh and they they really strayed away from saying anything about that so all we really had to go off of was the aesthetic look of what was actually in the show which in the trailers and any of the pictures which generally squarely put it in the kelvin timeline which is what the jj abrams universe is is more referred to as and the so that was like okay that's where we're at but then when you get into the television show it even would go a handful of episodes through the, the episodes and you were we were struggling to figure out where does this fit where is the ecosystem of this show and it wasn't probably until 5 episodes in that they finally said, "Oh, this is our own thing. It's not connected to any of those universes. This is a third timeline altogether." And no, it was really? just is that where they went? That's where they at least that's what I recall. And as soon as well... we went that way, it allowed us, at least allowed me to kind of release my tension around where it was at um, from any of that, but it sounds like there may be some dissenting opinions or understandings there.
3: Yeah, I don't think that they ever said for sure that that's what they were doing. Um, for everyone who's not aware of the... There was a ton of licensing issues around Discovery and Star Trek in general because of how it was licensed. And I don't want to get into it too much because it's really stupid. Um, and frankly, nobody cares or should care. Um, but the very short version of it is that when they wanted to make the J.J. Abrams movies, Paramount issued a special alternate license um, to Bad Robot so that Bad Robot could produce, uh, or I'm sorry, not Paramount, CBS issued the alternate license to Paramount and Bad Robot, because at that point, CBS and Paramount had already split, Um, and CBS owned the rights. So they issued an alternate license. The alternate license had a whole bunch of requirements to it that, you know, it had to be a certain percent different from, from core Star Trek because they wanted to still be able to produce all of the toys and all of the, the prime timeline stuff. And they didn't want Paramount and bad robot to dip their hands into that, which also is why all of the toys and other things like that for the JJ Abrams universe and for discovery suck. Um, Because, CBS still owned the rights to all the prime um, stuff. now you would think oh this would be solved by CBS then producing um, then producing Star trek again but it wasn't because bad robot was still behind it so they were still using bad robots alternate track license even though they could have used the prime license and they didn't want to admit this to anybody so this is why there was so much confusion and not sort of nonsensicalness around how the show looked what timeline was it set in was it abrams was it not abrams you know so that that's where all the confusion came from i will say that they have tried to say that it is in fact prime and that they believe that they are producing in the Prime universe. And all of this probably is now resolved since the, the Viacom merger. So now CBS and Paramount are back under one umbrella, and there is no need for multiple licenses. So that should not be an issue moving forward. But Ryan, it definitely was a problem and fed into all of the marketing and brand confusion because they were trying to not say. That that's what the situation was.
2: Yeah. And it felt much better in season two for sure, where all of a sudden they were able to kind of iron that out and lean much yes. cleaner into their marketing.
3: And yeah, I think season two is better in general.
0: Yeah. I, I I've heard rumors about the various seasons that I'm sure we'll spoil. For anyone listening, we are gonna spoil things. So hopefully everyone here is okay with spoilers. Um I know I know when Brian Fuller was originally pitching the show, he was kind of pitching a, a a universe of shows, um, and 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 they wanted him to kind of narrow his focus down, and it has kind of started to spill into that with Star Trek Picard and some of the Star Trek shorts that they're doing, um, but I think I, I think they really were hoping that that this was this was going to be their Mandalorian, you know, like this is what's going to get everyone to subscribe to our service, and I, I would be really curious if if that has succeeded or not. It feels honestly like Picard is a better shot. At that than Discovery, but I'm sure we'll we'll chat about that later on. Um, I want to start with something that you brought up, Dylan. Um, one of the questions I threw out there was, does Discovery carry forth, you know, the Roddenberry legacy, um, either successfully or not at all? And you mentioned you mentioned the show uh, is trying to tell Star Trek for a modern audience. Can you kind of elaborate on what that means and if, if Roddenberry would approve?
3: Um. Yeah, so I think the very bottom line of this is what you said. Yes, they're using Star Trek to try and grow their subscription model, which makes sense because that's what they've done with Star Trek basically since The Next Generation, um, since The Next Generation was the first show to be di- like direct to syndication. Um, and so they've tried these different models with Star Trek because Star Trek fans are such a uh, reliable group of fans um so they're definitely that definitely is correct and and i think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to take all these elements that the studio executives believe people are interested in which is fast-paced shiny lens flare action and sort of put that as a filter over a star trek story um and sort and they're trying to sort of combine the two So they're saying, okay, so here's some things that are Star Trek-y, and here's some things that are new, but we're going to do it in this way that looks very um, stylized and J.J. Abrams-like, which I think is where a lot of the marketing and brand confusion came in. Now, I have seen a lot of Discovery episodes that I think do capture the spirit of Star Trek, and I've seen a lot that I think don't. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I, there ha, like you had mentioned, there has been turmoil with the showrunning staff and the writing staff. The showrunners who were brought in um, after Brian Fuller departed ended up getting fired themselves because they were apparently abusive to the writers, um, like verbally abusive. Um, and I guess there was a, a a big protest in the writers' room about that. Um, so. I think that has led to a lot of ups and downs within the two seasons. Um, Overall, I enjoy it because I look at it through a lens of Star Trek for a different audience. Um, I don't look, I'm not looking for next generation when I watch discovery and it's not next generation. Um, But to me, I think that what they do well is they, when they're at their best, they're taking new and different ideas and running with them. And when they're at their worst, it's fanservice. So
0: Dominic, you said you watched the pilot and you were not um, taken with it. Do you remember why? Yeah,
1: when we sat down with it, we were really excited to watch it, um, but it didn't click with us. Uh, you know, for, there was an opening sequence where. A couple of the characters, they're stranded on a planet, and they make a big Starfleet symbol in in the sand. It struck us as kind of hokey, and so it kind of set the wrong tone for us initially. Uh, And then as we go through the episode, it wasn't engaging us. Uh, We weren't fans with the big redesign of the Klingons. It just looked funky to me. I couldn't make sense of why those choices were made. Um, So it kind of put me off. And then we get to the the cliffhanger of the episode, if I remember it being cliffhanger, was the mutiny of one of the main characters against the ship. And that seemed like a very not Starfleet thing to do in the moment. And because the show was then going to be behind a paywall, I didn't care enough to see how it got resolved Mm -hmm. to then want to spend $7.99 a month to figure out what the heck was going to happen. And we, I briefly thought of like, okay, I'll wait for all the episodes to come out. I'll pay seven I'll watch the show. I'll kill yeah. it. And by that time I had moved on to other things yeah. and it, uh, it just didn't hook me. Yeah. And I, and, and same for my wife and my kids, you know, they're big Trek fans. They watch it, uh, the original series and, and they weren't interested in either. So oh, we just didn't keep with
0: it. Um, yeah, I mean I'm right there with you. Like the pay the the CBS paywall really stopped me. Like I, I was really curious to watch the show and I just I couldn't do it. I even had friends who were like, hey, use my account and something about that additional step just I couldn't even borrow my brother's account to watch the show. Sure, you sure. know? Um so yeah, Ryan, let's let's jump over to you. Um how how do you feel about the pilot episode and kind of Discovery's start and this whole I mean was it a mistake to to kind of do the cbs all access thing even though that's where all the streaming services are going
2: i think that the streaming service uh ubiquity right so when this came out two years ago now there's even more with the disney Mm pluses and everything else so i think it's now it's definitely a complicated market to kind of evaluate whether we want to keep paying this much for the content and like like dominic said like i think there's let an entire show queue up pay your eight dollars or ten dollars get it out in a month And then kind of move on from there and i think unless you like enough of a network's back catalog or other shows keeping that doesn't keep you in the loop so you need to work really hard at that i don't watch any other cbs shows so this was going to be a place where it was going to be at best a one month and they were offering a free month when the show came out and i our streaming service the the experience was so bad. There was, I think it was the second episode where it would like play, it would get like seven minutes in, it would go to its either commercial break or some sort of digital cut to the next portion. And like, we could not get past it. We watched the opener scene and it wouldn't let you fast forward four or five times. And we were like, we're done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. So they even got off the ground pretty Hmm. herky-jerky, which I know isn't necessarily the exact question you're asking, but it made trying to get into this show... It made the show need to be that much better because the entry and the cost of time and frustration was so high that jumping into this was like, this isn't what I wanted either. So we were kind of put off by a lot of where the show felt um, through some of that sequence. I did quickly go to my social media closed feed of Facebook and kind of shared my thoughts and I was roasted and supported on both sides of it. So I think it definitely was kind of a divided feeling we stuck with it for a few episodes and even as they continue to kind of get in they have like holodeck technology inside the episode i think somewhere about the third or fourth episode and they're kind of coming up with their own reasons why which they don't explain much until the second season as to why the discovery ship is much different than the enterprise ship but it still was just wh- what universe am i existing in i don't understand and anything that makes a user feel a user a viewer <laughs> stupid or confused or to what's going on with that experience isn't where you want to be you want to kind of not be riding the fourth wall and i couldn't just wave my hands up in the air and be like well it is like this is their version to tell and i think back to what dylan was talking about the marketing left me confused of kind of like where are we in this entire yeah. sequence of yeah, I know what
1: you mean because we talk about you know whether it was set as a prequel or what have you and you know as a show that was as i understood it intended to be a prequel to the original series you know i was more than willing to forgive the show's look or the excuse me the ships looking more modern and the tech feeling better cuz yeah we're 50 years later and things are going to look better than they could accomplish back in the 60s so that wasn't a big deal but for me it's it's like setting the world of what the federation was like and and what was happening at that time and that just did not feel prequely to me in a way that i guess i was expecting mm-hmm. you have know.
0: you dominic have
1: you watched um enterprise i have and that okay. to me suffered some of the same issues mm-hmm. with it because um not because of the world they were creating but the people on the ship uh did not feel like they were encountering space for the first time and mm-hmm. um they were very mature in terms of what they were dealing with they're rallying all the technical battle off like it's no big deal and and you know i guess in that show i was looking for like okay we're in space what the hell are we dealing with everything is new and it just that felt very experienced to me so neither to me captured the zeitgeist of what they were saying they were intending to do Hmm.
2: i I do think enterprise did a better job of feeling fresher and newer with the space aspect of it they didn't have universal translator they couldn't go above warp five they had all of in like a lot of episodes would hinge on early technology problems or early aliens that they meet and aliens that us as viewers know like the andorians or whatever that they later become friends with or have peace treaties Mm -hmm. with we're still barely in the early fledgling stuff Or an episode with a Ferengi where we as a user, as a viewer, know who it is, but they don't know and they have to kind of move around it. And I think there was even an Enterprise Borg episode as well, Mm. uh, if I remember correctly. So, you know, like they want to have a little bit of that service, but I think you're right. Like I, I just couldn't put my temporal finger on where I was sitting inside the Discovery universe. I was willing to give it some... Uh, some allowances in that sense of, yes, we've moved 50 years past that, and why does everything have to look like the art direction from at least TNG? Um, it just, it was complicated to kind of see where it sat out. And they do in the season two when Discovery does actually run into Enterprise and it features heavily as a part of a, a, a kind of a sea C-level storyline, you do see the major differences between the ships and why they are different, and they explain that why, but it's not present in season one. So it just feels real jarring and you have to give them a lot to go well the the writers have this i just have to have faith that the writers are going to get it um and sometimes they nailed the landing and sometimes they didn't
0: yeah there's uh, anybody who knows me knows i'm not a huge fan of the jj abrams reboot of of star trek um a friend of mine once made a joke to me he was like you don't like like fast paced action star trek like you just want you know your star trek to have board meetings and council meetings (laughs) i was like yes that's what i want i want my star trek to have council meetings i'm great watching a council meeting for 45 minutes um and it feels like parts of discovery are really trying to channel the jj abrams reboot in the look and, and and it just makes me wonder can you do star trek nowadays as as old trek or is it is it just impossible is it it just doesn't exist. Like you can't do that anymore. Like you couldn't make.
2: Yeah, well, and I'd love to, and I'd love to hear where like Dylan can mm. lean in on this because I think to your portion, like, does the show hold up the legacy? I versus in, and we'll talk probably more about this later in, in terms of um, uh, you know, the other the other show that's out there. Um, the idea that does it hold up, Abram? Oh, sorry, Roddenberry's intent of where it was at and i even went back and read some more about like what roddenberry's intent was around to try and make commentary on religion and race and sex and science and politics and and all of that and i really find without like really staring at it the neither of the two seasons really work much at that at all there's no thematic element um in there Unlike Orville. Hmm, yeah. I mean, Orville has a lot of those things that do it. And sometimes they'll take two or three Trek episodes and smash them into one. And they suffer from the fact that sometimes they don't hit enough on the theme and they shove three episodes into one. But at least I felt like I got some of that, that there was something to say. And where this just missed that element of the Rod Merriness. But I know, Dylan, you said you've, you saw more of it than maybe I did in there.
3: Well, yeah. So I just want to say, first of all, I don't think we should care about what Gene Roddenberry wants, because I think Trek was best when Gene Roddenberry was told to take a back seat.
2: Um, I I, I agree with that too. I mean, I think there there was an aspect to that as well. Um, uh, you know, you know, I, know with the, with the...
3: I think that that the idea of what he wanted to achieve with Star Trek is is great. I think that they honored that throughout the whole sort of next generation era. But if you look at what makes Star Trek good, at least for me, it's never the look or the feel so much as it is whether or not we're telling compelling stories with compelling characters. And for me, that is when the original series films got better. That is when The Next Generation got better. For me, the reason Deep Space Nine is good is because of how compelling the character stories are. And, um, and the overarching themes that they're hitting on. It's not so much, um, you know, I don't care as much about the show having the same feels as what I think Star Trek is, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that for Discovery, I have definitely seen elements of really great social commentary that I've thought were done really well. And I've seen other episodes where it seems like they're just episodes that are there to progress their season arc that they don't know what else to do. So they just have to put in all of this plot in an episode in order to get to where they want to go. And that's where I think it kind of falls apart because it's not compelling in a way that an audience cares about. So, I mean, there's, and I think season two does a much better job of this. I think that a lot more episodes in season two, um, are saying something more about the world there's, a, a, there's an episode i really like the fourth episode of season two um that deals with saru's home planet and um that episode i think really sort of captures the spirit of trek while also sort of commenting on the current state of our world and i think it did it in a way that really worked and really worked in a Trek way Um, my issue with discovery is just that it's inconsistent because they're so obsessed with the arcs and how they're going to tell this overarching story that's going to be surprising and crazy that it just sometimes gets lost but there are i think elements that are good and i think that there are times when the writers really get a good script through and you know and you get a really good payoff episode. And I was able to watch pretty much all of season two without feeling, um, uh, beleaguered by it. Um, season one I had a hard time with, especially the first half of season one. I was more interested in the second half of season one, not because it was better, but because it was more cohesive and it seemed like they decided what they were doing and just stuck with it. Um... But, you know, I I think that, you know, ultimately it's, it's going to be, it's intentionally a different experience where with the Orville, I'll just throw out right here. I despise the Orville. I hate everything about it. (laughs) And, and the reason is simple. It's because you can give any Star Trek fan a billion dollars and have them redo the next generation. Like, to me, there's no, to me, it's, it's like theft. Like it, you said, Ryan, that sometimes they squeeze three episodes into every single episode is a complete ripoff of an actual Star Trek episode or plot. I can usually name the episode by name within the first five minutes of an Orville episode and say, this is what this is ripped from. Not just an idea, but like sometimes these episodes are shot for shot remakes. And, and some of
2: them might even be starring the same actor or sometimes yeah sometimes <laughs> some the sometimes same.
3: they are and to me like i get the idea of oh i have that next generation feeling and i like that i like the nostalgia of that but i can't give seth mcfarland and those show creators credit for just taking something that's already good and and copying it and yeah well, I,
1: I, I, mean, I, I yeah i know what you mean in terms of the and this I know. It's not our podcast, but <laughs> I I know what you mean about the plotting and the ripping off of plot lines. Because yeah, when I was watching, it's like, oh yeah, I remember this episode from Trek, right. and and that kind of and, and it was fine. And for me, it was like the it was it was the reskinning of it. And and quite honestly, what I love about you know the original series and and Enterprise, see not some Enterprise, uh, next gen and DS nine. You know, are these these characters that I sort of bonded with and were, were entertained by and uh, could relate to? And I got like none of that charisma out of the characters of Discovery in that first episode. And that's kind well, of I, I what would made have, me I would stick agree. with Orville. Is just I like these people. I I needed somebody to hang out with in a light hour while i was doing other things and i had fun so yeah yeah i would agree with you there
3: about the characters i think that that's the biggest issue with the pilot is it's there's nothing compelling about those people's story that they're trying to tell and actually i think that's the biggest issue with all of season one is you just kind of don't ever care about the characters i mean you know like saru
2: i think season two suffers from the same thing i mean Like you care about, like, let's say the five main characters, but there's an entire bridge of numerous people you can't name through all of season two until I think maybe the second to last episode where they finally give one of them, you know, a name that comes out of nowhere and a micro backstory about one of them.
3: Yeah, Um. yeah. No, definitely is that is the case for some of the characters. However, in season two, they make a concerted effort to sort of create a more ensemble show. Um, and you see that particularly with, like you said, the five main characters. And they do a little bit of a better job, too, with giving the other characters at least more to do. In the first season, I agree, it's like there's like nothing there. It's, it's just people on the bridge saying things. And then it's back to the Michael Burnham show. Um, in season two, there's a lot with Pike and Spock and Burnham and Stamets. Which I really like, I really like Stamets' character, and I think that he does a good job on the show. Um, and I think that there's just a lot more there in season two, that they go into um, sort of the classic Trek, or they try to hit the tra- classic Trek ensemble feel. And to me, the- at least there's an effort there in season one. That was what was like totally missing. So for, so that's why I had the biggest trouble with season one. I, I like season two quite a bit more because of the work they did in those characters. And I really liked what they did with Pike. I thought that they hit the exact right note with captain Pike. Um, let me, I mean, Pike, Pike hit it out th- of the park. Let me throw out a
0: question. Um, Just because whenever we do a star Trek, whenever we do a star Trek podcast, one of the kind of rules that we talk about is, you know, Star Trek, a Star Trek show really leans heavily on its captain. You know, the captain really makes or breaks the show usually. Uh, and what I find interesting about Discovery is is our lead is not the captain. Um, uh, we've, we've invoked her name a few times, uh, the character of Michael Burnham, played by Sinequa Martin Green, if I am pronouncing that correctly. Um, she is not the captain. Uh, she is the first officer. Am I correct in that?
2: Sort in of the fir- in the first two episodes okay. or so, she is a first officer, and then demoted to basically prisoner. Okay,
3: <laughs> demoted. To- well, yeah, yeah she's you she's, she's yeah, no, she def- she gets basically she gets put in jail, and then there's stripped stripped of rank, stripped of rank, put in jail, and then Captain Lorca of the Discovery pulled some strings to get her on the Discovery. And you find out later that it's all... That Lorca's actually bad. And there's this whole other plot for the reasons for that. But Season 1 is basically her sort of trying... They try to make it a a, a Burnham redemption arc. And I think they sort of fail because her character doesn't change at all. Um, Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the circumstances that she's put in change. So then that makes her useful. So it's just... You, I can see what the writers are trying to do. I just don't think it succeeded in season one. Hmm. In season two, when they brought in Pike, he's not the main character, uh, Anson Mount, who plays um, Captain Pike, but he's pretty close, and hmm. he fills that void that season one was, like, very badly missing.
0: Of the captain? Um,
3: Yes. Okay. So, so basically, what they do, if you're not familiar, they meet up with the Enterprise, and the Enterprise has suffered some sort of mechanical failure. And Pike, they they, they take Enterprise to space dock, and Pike takes command of the Discovery. And Pike is the captain for all of season two.
0: Oh wow.
2: And and, and Spock has gone on. So, Spock has been incarcerated for medical reasons, and he is now on the run. So Captain Pike now needs to use the Discovery to chase down Spock who is the brother of Burnham. Oh,
3: stepbrother. Oh. Uh, Wait, stepbrother. step-brother. Not enough? stepbrother. Adopted <laughs> well, brother. Well, adopted. Adopted brother, yeah. yeah. Which, is, which I'll say is a thing that annoyed a lot of Star Trek fans, right? Um, now, to their credit, they write in a reason why we've never heard of her before. Is it a good reason? Eh, I mean, it's obviously just because they needed a reason. But... Mm-hmm. Does it? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't bother me that much. I, it's fine enough. Yeah, it, I know,
2: once they get to the reason, it's okay. Um, but it definitely is like, okay, I got to go on this other thing and figure out why does Spock have a brother that Kirk has never, or sorry, i have a sister that Kirk's never heard about, no right. one's ever mentioned. Right. Kirk has a sister. The answer. So Kirk and Spock, as best buddies, have oh my to. Gosh.
0: Yeah. First off, you brought up the Final Frontier, yes, Cyborg. I will make you do a Final Frontier podcast if you are not careful, sir. You just <laughs> please, you just watch yourself. No, don't. Um, do that. Well, it is. It's another Cyborg. Yeah. It is that. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't, you know, obviously, introducing that element and having to explain it. You know, having to have to write those things myself, or you have to make lore make sense to introducing new characters. I'm incredibly forgiving for that kind of thing, as long as the payoff is good. Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the it was fine. Yeah, I think it was fine. It was a little hokey, I, but like as I said, that's not really what I'm most interested in when we talk about Star Trek. And as someone who is also a content creator, um, you know, it's hard. You know, it's <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard to take something that has such a massive audience and following and do something that everyone's gonna like. I mean, someone, some people are gonna hate it. And that's sort of how the lens I look through Discovery is that, you know, this is their attempt to do something with this IP that is different and is new and is going to make money. Hmm. So am I going to hate it because they made decisions I didn't make? No, I'm going to watch it because i simply can't not watch it. I'm that invested in Star Trek um but also judge it for what it is and not what i think it should be um and you know and i think that as far as quality of shows go um you know i think it's okay i don't think it's bad i enjoyed i spe- i particularly enjoyed season 2 i thought the i thought the season finale was not so good um but i enjoyed the season pretty much up until season 2 and they and at the end of season 2 they set up a cliffhanger um pushing the discovery like a thousand years into the future mm-hmm. and pretty much pretty much tell you that they're never going to see their time again. Um, and that the rest of the show is going to take place in this distant future. Hmm. So I think if I had to guess what happened, I think that they just got too caught up in how to do a good prequel and decided it would be best to just do their own thing. And so they said, okay, let's transport the Discovery to an all-new time and not even worry about having to tie this in to everything everybody already knows, which honestly is what they should have done from the beginning. Doesn't um,
1: it become Voyager at that point? I mean, it's, it's time no, it's,
2: it passes. Pays, but... It's but It's the 29th century, I think, is where yeah, they jump the to. Yeah, it's 29th century.
3: Yeah, it definitely mm. is Voyager-y in that sense that they're going to be on their own um the previews for the new season indicate that the federation still exists and they do at least have interactions with the federation um judging by the previews so i don't know we'll see what they do i think it sort of unties them from having to do all this complicated prequel uh writing and lore matching and all this other stuff that they just i i think all of those attempts to try and keep making people happy and keep making the show feel different is what created this sense of, of inconsistency with the first two seasons. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I, that is what it is. The first two yeah. seasons of TNG are, are for the most part, terrible. So yep. I'm not like, I don't mind. I'll still keep watching it. I'm going to, um, I, I'm hoping that they use this opportunity to really give us something new and exciting, and as far as you know how it feels, and if it feels Star Trekky enough, I mean, you know, I, I guess we'll see. But you know, for mm. me, that's not that's not the primary thing that I care. We
0: kind of touched on it a little bit, and I want to bring it back. Um, just the characters, real quick. Uh, we talked on uh, we talked a little bit about Burnham, but are there any other characters that you really want to talk about or highlight? You know, I mean, Star Trek usually has a wonderfully a wonderful colorful cast of characters even the minor characters so i'm kind of curious like who are the standouts on discovery or you know like as somebody who is a star trek fan like which character would you say to me like oh you need to watch discovery because of you know this person
3: um doug jones's saru was great Mm-hmm.
0: He's great um, Doug Jones is great.
3: <laughs> Doug Jones is fantastic and the character is great the character is very Star trekky he's sort of a mixture of Spock and data um, and with a few other things thrown in I think he's really compelling to watch. Um, I think he's I think he's had the most compelling character arc um if we're looking at total characters that have been there from the beginning who is he what's his position? on the ship. He's ba- he's basically the, he's the first officer. Um he's basically the first officer. It sort of changes a little bit throughout um but that's essentially who he is. He he's in command at certain points as well and it seems like maybe he's going to be in command in the new season, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. It seems right. Um so I really like him. I I like the Paul Stan.
2: I think his 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 arc gets a um like, he has, there's a lot of stuff that's there, but I think with the part that, to, you know, to the episodes that really move his character forward, they kind of come a little bit out of the blue, but yeah, he's yes. got a really, his culture feels like it's got the most fleshed out, and he's really the only, quote, alien one on the crew, mm-hmm. so he fills in some of that. Um, yes. And I know you are about, so that's, it's kind of a nice aspect to just kind of see some of that culture. I think when you talk about characters that have gone through, I think growth, and then had it quickly taken away in the second season, uh, was Tilly, um, ensign Tilly, who then yeah. becomes captain, who becomes Captain Tilly, and then who gets uh, brought back down to ensign Tilly uh, through a series of things. And we could touch on spoilers in a second, but you know she goes through this whole arc in the first season, and then she kind of has to start all back over on her arc in the second season. But the yeah. thing that I found a lot of fans really liked about Tilly was that she has she's a for whatever they don't fully call it out but she's a character on the spectrum of some mm-hmm. level um w- she whether she has uh, she's a stammering character she has um you know ability kind of re- uh, reading the room reading other characters well so she kind of was a an interesting character that a lot of people identified with that had similar style conditions she wasn't as poised and put together as every other starfleet officer mm-hmm. should be and she works at it really hard where like the captain has to be like tilly shut up right um and but it comes off okay and they recognize that it's her character um so she's a she's and she's not a picturesque perfect um physical appearance like she has pimples that show on her face from time to time she's got um a a, an atypical body type that's on there so it doesn't show that everyone in the future has to be a size zero or a one uh inside this and it's i think it's was greatly appreciated to see some of that reflected Mm.
3: Yeah. Tilly is definitely a fan favorite. Um, I like her. She's, um, I mean, she's not my favorite. I, you know, I, am sort of indifferent to her character. I see what you mean about the character arc. There's a whole mirror universe thing that happens in season one that, that makes her become the captain. Um, I really like Anthony Rapp as Paul Stamets. I think he does a really nice job, mm-hmm. um, as, as Paul Stamets, who's basically like, he's not quite an engineer. He's sort of like a mix of like a scientist and an engineer, Um, and he, he's the one, his character has the relationship with the doctor, Dr. Culber, um, who, uh, who plays him? Um, Wilson Mm -hmm. Cruz, uh, Wilson Cruz plays him. And that's like the gay relationship, right? On the show that, that caused, I don't know, some idiots to be mad
0: um wait 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 there was
3: a gay relationship on the show and star trek fans were upset
0: about this oh yeah not not oh, most my... of them okay, they, okay like a
3: a weird gr- it, it it's yeah it's yeah. <laughs> it was like a weird subgroup of people uh, who had issues they did
2: they didn't well they didn't introduce it real well in the episode and then spoilers they kill off the character right they so... kill off
3: dr Calber, right
2: so it ends up being – I mean, it sends – it feels like a real weird signal that they weren't quite ready to lean into it real strongly with kind of some weird framing angles and, like, cohabitation co-habit, uh, uh, stuff. <laughs> right, and, right. And then it moves to the point that they kill off the character. So you're like, oh, so you kill off the African-American gay character to keep the white right, gay character. Right, So I think it
3: got complicated. Um, All, although he comes back. They bring Culver back. He does. Um so, uh, and I think I like post-death Culber a lot more than pre-death Calber because they don't do anything with him when he's alive. Really, mm-hmm. he's just sort of the doctor who like fixes, you know, cuts. And bruises. yeah, he's like a he's like a he's like a Pulaski. Like, yeah, he's not... and then I think they really mm-hmm. kind of dive more difference. into that. <laughs> yeah, so they really sorry. I was just saying they really dive more into that relationship once he comes back. And I think it's I think it's good. I mean, I think that they they all do some fine work there. Um, so, I mean, I think those are those good, are all good. I think um, Anson Mountain as Pike is really good. I think he totally hits it out of the park. Um, and I think he, a lot
2: of fan, a lot of fans have asked for a spinoff show with
3: him. Right. Oh, wow. And Ethan Peck, Ethan Peck as Spock, I think, is a good serviceable Spock. Um, I really liked Rebecca Romaine as number one. I thought she did a really nice job um you know i thought they really hit a lot of the right notes with these characters in season two um the one character i hate despise never want to see him again is ash tyler (laughs) yes um like totally pointless and stupid character this is a guy who's like a starfleet officer but then is actually a klingon and it honestly is really convoluted isn't it the other
2: way isn't he a klingon that became a starfleet officer? i I don't care and (laughs) yeah it's so it's so ridiculous and
3: it's like it's just really convoluted and stupid and it's a stupid it's it's a shoehorned way to try and give michael burnham a a a romantic interest
0: Mm -hmm. and
3: it's just dumb it was unneeded but he's the only one that i really was like oh god get this character away um, everyone else, I think, is either just not memorable or, or does a pretty I, good job. I,
2: I did not like Lorca going through it, but once you get to the end of season one, it makes sense. Yes, yes, but, agreed. But it was really hard to like him going through 10 episodes, <laughs> six, right? or eight episodes. Which is, and- I
3: think, essentially a, a writing problem because they had this idea going into it that he was going to be a secret bad guy, but we don't know that. So we're dealing with this shitty guy who is just like not star trekky at all and then come to find out he's evil, like at the end of the season, it's like, okay, well now it all makes sense, but geez, did it have to take this long? I mean, it's, mm-hmm.
0: it's yeah. Mal- it's Malfoy's dad. So, I mean, we should have all known <laughs> that he was going to be evil. Yeah. Um, Dominic, were you about to ask something? He, well, yeah, this, he it, plays it, the, this, bl- uh, he
2: plays the blind gay romantic interest in uh, forever November or whatever with like Keanu
0: Reeves. Oh my Reeves. God. <laughs> I'm, I'm not familiar with that movie, but now I'm going to check it out. Dominic, what were you going to say? <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it's a little, little bit of right turn, but you know, early we were discussing the fact that you know, this is an attempt to bring Trek to the modern audience, which hmm. I th- totally think needs to happen. I mean, I went to a, a Star Trek convention in Chicago. I was invited by a friend of mine to go see this tribute band with Armin Shimmerman and a oh, couple yeah. other people. <laughs> and I get there. It's Friday night. It's an airport hotel, big ballroom, and it's two thirds empty. Oh. And, at 47 at the time I was the youngest person there by mm. years <laughs> and I'm just like oh my god star trek is dying uh yeah. so I mm. would be curious as people who watch the show is you know has you know regardless of its quality has it expanded the audience for trek has it brought in a younger demo and reinvigorated what the brand is. Cause I got some of that off the, the star Trek reboot. I mean, it was a big success in theaters and it seemed to you know, hit the quadrants.
3: Has discovery
1: done that? I don't know.
3: Yeah. I think that that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that the, the issue with discovery is like, I don't, that's, that is what their advertised objective is. I'm not sure that it is actually their objective though. Because I think that what they're looking at with Discovery is a really solid fan base that they know a good percentage of will sign up for their subscription. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means they're targeting the already Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to get those people to sign up for their subscription service. And that's the reason they chose Star Trek. So to me, that sort of is the main point and not so much expanding it to a new audience um
2: i'm because picard isn't going to do that really much either right
3: but although although i will say picard has the opportunity to do that possibly better than discovery just because captain picard and patrick stewart are such major figures in the zeitgeist you know like like everyone has heard of him right even if you don't care about star trek you know who Captain Picard is, and and you associate Patrick Stewart with him. So my thinking is that they're betting that people who don't care about Star Trek are going to be interested in seeing this Star Trek because they've heard so much about Picard and might be interested in it. So that's what I, you know, I think it has the opportunity to do that.
2: It does. I mean, I think it's going to miss, like, what something like The Expanse is doing, right? The Expanse is going to be a younger generation's right sci-fi show because it's hitting a bunch of different stuff and it doesn't feel like your mom and dad's television show. And as I was discussing earlier, like this is not a show I could bring my kids into. It just was it was dark, there was some horrific moments, there's some blood and gore, there's un, unnecessary swearing. I'm not against it, but it just felt like a little excessive You, you have to, points. you have to earn it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't like, was wasn't even trying to push my to to go like, no, 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 you got to like this. i like like, you know what? I'll just go back to some other Sci-fi show. If I have to start with something, right? So that was like almost even, almost literally a couple nights ago. We're like, should we start Firefly or not? Right? Like, <laughs> where do you start them? That's <laughs> something. But uh, but but I think it's an interesting point, right? Where Where do they want to kind of expand some of that offering? And I think Picard has some opportunities that are there. And I think my wife and I had some interesting debates around the idea that, like, if you strip Discovery One and Two of all of any of the Star Trek vocabulary. How does it hold up as a sci-fi show? Just a straightforward, yeah. because their their nods and their embracing of the Star Trek universe were not great, and a lot of the times, you know, I think that's why something like Orville felt familiar enough when we were watching them next to each other. Like literally, we'd watch one a couple days later, we'd watch the other, and this felt more Star Trekky at Orville than Discovery did with the Star Trek name, and even though it was retreading similar ground. Um, I I felt like Discovery was just any generic sci-fi show, which is, you know, Netflix is Mm -hmm. launching a a new one every quarter, whether it's Second Life with, you know, with Battlestar Galactica, you know, people or something else. And they're just, you know, all over the board just because it's a sci-fi show. It was like, okay, I could just strip all of this stuff out. So when you like, when I felt like I lost the morals and values of what, Starfleet represented, and even some of the guiding principles of what original Trek was that didn't feel grounded here in season one. This really did feel like a strong fanfic level of season where, like, we just want to do all this really cool stuff, but we don't care about the politics all that much.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, like, we talk back to Orville again, like, you know, there are some really odd decisions in some of those episodes for sure. But it's the aspirational nature of the characters in the show that. For me, harkened back even back to the original series of Trek, which I like. I mean, we're in a time right now where things are dark and we got a lot of dark TV. And it's like, you know, I don't need another Sons of Anarchy right now. <laughs> I just, just want to be entertained I, I don't and be want,
2: ennobled, sort of. That's, it's like, watch up the yeah. light. It's good, but I don't want Seth MacFarlane trying to answer some of those <laughs> questions yeah.
3: either. Fair I enough, will say fair I, I agree totally. That, to me, is maybe the biggest thing that's missing with me is this idea that you can watch Star Trek and feel like things are going to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's maybe the thing I like most about Star Trek, you know, outside of the, uh, the, the good stories and the good characters are that feeling you get that, you know we're going to go through some shit but we're going to come out of it on the other side and we're going to be better and we're going to be what we want to be and yeah the first season of discovery just does not get there um you see glimmers of it in the second season and i think that anson mounts pike is a big reason that you see that because he is sort of representative of that starfleet ideal yeah um so i think that you really do start to see it and i'll be interested to see whether they go dark in this next season or whether they keep sort of going towards that aspirational tone um you know and you know i hope that they do because i think that that really is what separates star trek from a lot of other sci-fi um so i said curiosity
1: I think... is pike on the discovery that goes into the 29th century or what the heck this is no okay.
0: okay
3: no he stays behind as as captain of the enterprise and as does spock as does spock Got it. um so it's just the discovery crew that goes into the future um yeah, the
2: season the season two has some connections to uh the pilot episode of tos with the cage oh, okay. yes and
3: which i think actually they did well i actually i was not sure how i was going to feel about that i think they did a pretty good job with it
0: yeah i have so many um, thoughts um First off, I'm upset you went to an Armin Shimmerman cover band and did not invite me. Oh, was it
1: in Chicago? In Chicago? It was in Chicago. And and um, did we know yeah, each the other? Guy, well, the, yeah, yeah. yeah this is after Injustice. Too the guy who's the voice of Brainiac, whose name always escaped Jeffrey Combs.
0: Jeffrey Combs. He, yes. He invited me to go Jeffrey to this Combs. Thing. What? And so
1: he was in the band and that kind of stuff. Did and you, wait,
3: wait. Did you just say Jeffrey Combs invited you to go to this?
1: Yes. Yes.
3: Okay. Well, I love Jeffrey Combs. So but Jeffrey, he's an, an amazing out. human being.
1: I love the man. It was wonderful. He is so
3: great.
0: yeah um it's it's yeah i think you're right dom like i think there is like i don't want to say star trek is dying but it 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 needs to grab a, a certain audience and i don't think it's done that in a long time i mean even listening to all of us talk like most of us didn't discover this show didn't discover star trek by ourselves like our parents introduced us to it um and i think that's kind of how next generation just became such a hit is like Literally the fans of Star Trek introduced it to like the next generation of fans and it just blew up. Yeah. Um, so it kind of saddens me that Discovery, I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't think it'll be Picard. Like I think Picard is aimed at people like me who love Captain Picard and want to see him again, even though it'll be a different type I'm- of show.
2: I mean, you're putting the show behind two separate, a whole different. You're putting it on an obscure network that is not a network itself that says they even reach a younger crowd, other than, uh, I don't know, two broke girls, if that's even on that network, and uh, (laughs) the the geek the geek show. um, Oh my god, I can't think of it now. Big Bang Theory. Um, but other than that, everything else is for an older audience. So now you're asking a younger youth audience to move off their Netflixes and their Hulus to now go specifically sign up for CBS, which is a grandparent station. So it's got a lot of incumbent barriers for hmm. sure.
0: Is there, is there anything that is that is filling the void of Star Trek right now? Like we've brought up the Orville a couple of times, but I'm curious if there are any other shows that you feel are more Star trek than Star Trek right now.
3: I, I, no shows that I'm aware of, um, I mean, the thing is, I was saying, kind of saying this before, is that I just feel like the aspirational nature of Star Trek is so different from most science fiction, Mm -hmm. that there's just not a lot of it, that's, not to say there isn't, you know, certainly there's lots of science fiction, right, but just in terms of, especially lately, what's been developed is, you know, it's, it's dark, it's plotting it's dystopian um and the thing that's so great about star trek especially in this extremely dark time that we're in now is you know i can turn on the next generation and 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 say oh what a great future you know we could have um you know when i turn on the orville i just get mad and i turn it off (laughs) um (laughs) And I will I, I, I will watch the Orville, but I, like, hate watch it. Like, <laughs> sure. I'll watch it, and I'll be like, okay, let's see who they're going to rip off now.
0: I mean, you're let's not see... wrong. I mean, the Family <laughs> no, no, Guy no. is a ripoff of The Simpsons, ba- <laughs>
3: basically. And they did right, an episode right. about that, which was kind of brilliant. Right. So. And I just, for me, I just it just makes me so annoyed because, like, if I want to watch a great episode that's, like, an allegory on trans rights or gay rights i'm just gonna watch the star trek episode i don't need to watch gay wharf on the orville you know like
1: i I love gay wharf on the orville i'm sorry
3: it's i mean i like him too i I like his character and i like the actor and i like what they do with it but i can't like it enough because it's a ripoff you know like that's the bottom line of it for me is that i just can't appreciate it because like if you give me a billion dollars i will remake the next generation too i mean i like uh, great congratulations you ripped a bunch of plots from somebody else you know i just that's what just irritates me so much about it and i get why kids and younger people like the orville because they've never seen the next generation Hmm. and you can watch it and wow what a great show well yeah yeah you Oh, my, yes, yeah. it is a great show. You should have watched it when it was first on in the 80s.
1: Well, in, in my kids' case, they, they've they seen original series. They've seen Next Gen. We watched a whole bunch of it. And I think it was just really relatable at its outset. Just the you know the, the silliness of the characters in terms of how they act because they, they don't really act like military people, which I know is totally right. odd. And it was off-putting to me at the beginning, too. They kind of back off it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was like, I'm entertained. I'm just going to roll with it. What the hell? So.
0: <laughs> hey, Riker does not act like a military guy. Do, have you seen him try and sit in the chair? He does not sit in the chair. <laughs> like he has been trained to sit in a chair, okay? <laughs> um, yeah.
3: I mean, I, I definitely, you know, and, and you know what? I will say that, like, for the Orville, I don't think that their audience is, is much bigger than your standard Star Trek fan base. Um, you know, I'm not sure who they're bringing into the fold, who are dying to watch the orville i mean i think you're... it didn't do well enough for a third season on fox it's moving to hulu yeah. right mm. i you know I, I guess i think we're in this new media era <laughs> where it's like mega franchise it's like it's like media monopolies and you've got these huge companies that own these mega franchises and instead of trying to 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 bring in more and more people They're just saying, okay, you know what, we're going to do this for this already established fan base. We're not going to worry so much about bringing new people in because they can just pay their six bucks a month and just watch what they want to watch. And that's it. And they can watch as much of it as they want. And I think you're starting to see some franchise fatigue with a lot of these franchises. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to bring star wars into this too much but and i know people have really different varying opinions on the new star wars i'm a very casual star wars fan i enjoy the films but i am not a a, uh i am not a you know like i'll watch them the new ones i don't care about watching again Like star Star trek is more
0: important to you than star wars
3: yes yeah (laughs) but by by a long shot Mm -hmm. but i do not care even one percent about the new star wars film Mm. like it is like i don't care i'll see it i'm sure but am i excited about it no do i care about the trailer no am i tired of everything star wars yes and my sort of fear is that All of these franchises, like that's what's happening to all of the people who are not super dedicated fans to those franchises. So it's going to be harder and harder to get people who are not Star Trek fans to engage in a Star Trek show. And it's going to be harder and harder to get non-Star Wars people to engage in Star Wars because it's just never ending. And there's so much of it. And these franchises just never seem to uh never seem to end or conclude or do something different so i think that that's part of the issue here and it's with everybody it's not just you know Mm -hmm. i I think marvel did a really good job with with their version of um their mega franchise uh but i would be frankly surprised to see sort of their next generation mcu be as successful as Mm -hmm. as the first one was but you know i guess we'll see
0: um we're over the hour mark, so let me kind of slowly wrangle this in and wrap this up. Um, there's been so many interesting thoughts. I kind of want to throw this question out uh, for Star Trek, you know, for franchise fatigue um, and whatnot. Is there, is there a course correct um, that needs to happen either with the franchise or with Discovery itself? Like if there's a way you could fix the show, um, you know, or fix Star Trek Uh, What would it be, you know, and and it can deal with discovery. Maybe there's something about Picard you feel might fix things um, or the whatever fourth movie I think they may be doing for the Kelvin timeline. I don't know. Um, But but what do you think? What do you think needs to happen for Star Trek?
2: Yeah, i think for i mean if i look specifically at discovery and i think what, what has also plagued me like if there was a show that was a good or star trek was a, a show that did a good juggling between season-long arcs or multi-episode arcs and character growth and standalone bottle episode type stuff i think star trek you know really raised the bar in that in a lot of different ways and with the quantity of tv that is out there And the amount of time i have as an adult with children i i sometimes want a show that i can watch and watch an episode or two and i don't need to sit down for an entire season to get a payoff and i think that's what i appreciated about a lot of what trek did overall was that while i could watch a handful of these episodes or three episode arcs the ask is not always a huge amount um, and I think signing up, you know, watching Picard, watching Discovery, any, and almost any show on any of these streaming networks, it says, We're writing you a, a 12, 13, 16 episode arc. Buckle up, Buttercup. Here we go. And I just look at that and I go, Can, can something be a little shorter? Or can something be um, not eight to 12 episodes long at an hour a pop just to kind of tell your complete story? Because some of them do have fluff in them. Some of them feel like they, episodes just kind of stretch that out. And I'm not asking for the 22 to 26 episode series seasons that some of early Trek had, either. But I just a a little bit more bottle, a little less watch 13 episodes to get a full story. I think would be a place where Trek was doing a lot more of that than, I guess, Law and Order or CSIs.
0: Dylan, what about you? (sighs)
3: Um, I would really like to see uh, Discovery. Um stop with the fan service and just try and tell a good story and i'm hopeful that that's the direction they're going in i agree with ryan i i i get sick of the whole season arcs it it you know it, it's a lot right and then you have to remember everything that happened and every show is like that now it's nice to have a star trek where you can just watch one nice episode it's 40 you know five minutes long and you don't really have to um you know worry about what happened in the past. Um, so, I would really like to see them um, tell their own story and get away from the things that are so stuck in established Trek. Because when you look at how Star Trek has expanded its universe and done great things in previous series, it's always been something new. You know, The Next Generation was vastly expanded and different from the original series, Deep Space Nine went way further as well. And, um Voyager sort of the uh, you know, I think the reason Voyager suffered a little bit was because they were <laughs> too close to both deep Space Nine and Next Generation and couldn't quite forge their own path. Um, so that's what I would really like to see them do. I think that everyone that I talk to that's as big of a Star Trek fan or close to as big of a Star Trek fan as I am has always wanted to see post nemesis Star Trek everyone wants to see the next generation universe in the future and i think that they can do that with discovery now and i'm also really excited to see how they do that with picard um because i that that to me is what everyone has been wanting for so long and the 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 shiny fun idea of prequels is just like totally worn off mm. um so that's
0: yeah, I mean, that seems like, That's especially sort of coming off I the think. heels of Enterprise, it, it always seemed strange to me that Discovery was also set in the same time yeah. period, even after the J.J. Abrams movies. Like, we've gone back to Kirk and Spock timeframes so many times. Um,
2: well, and Game of Thrones is going to do it, and now the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is going to move back to pre- – like, we just – we keep moving earlier in times to, you know, some of it has source mm-hmm. material, right? That's usually where it is. There is source material sitting there, Um for some of these places to to plumb and mine, and even there was even a Star Trek fan film called I think Axenar Axenar that had been kind of in the same era or something. And CBS made a cease and desist with them because you know there was a lot of rumor that it was going to be overlapping storylines that they wanted to bring into Discovery. Uh, and I didn't follow it real far, but like but that was all prequel territory, um, pivoting off of elements that had mm-hmm. been mentioned in Star Trek canon that the fan films decided to explore. Yeah,
0: like prequels Prequels are okay uh, in some respects. Like Better Call Saul, I think, is a really great example mm-hmm. of, of you know, a prequel before a beloved series. We've just gone back to the era of Kirk and Spot like f- three times now, four times now. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, or if we go on the other end, right, just Terminator Dark Fate, mm. which is like <laughs> the third attempt at a, a, a third movie <laughs> – after terminator 2 it's just like what why I well, mean that's right? a special can't, can't case get... though I
1: mean that, that's a story that ended definitively with T2 <laughs> yes. and then to try to extend it just ruins that story it's yeah. like totally oh we didn't win
0: and we can't ever win we just mus- uh, we just pushed judgment day back into may you know yeah. it's not yeah. in april anymore um yes. dominic what do you what do you <laughs> what do you think about as far as like Star Trek, like, should it be put on ice for a little while? Is there?
1: I, I don't think it to be put on ice. I think they need to find a compelling, you know, to use a software thing, a use case. Like, why are we in this universe and what are we doing? I mean, like, you know, with Gene Roddenberry's original Trek, it's a reflection of the time, right? You know, we're going to build this hopeful humanity. You know, next gen again had a purpose. It's like, okay, we're going to bring Trek. We're going to uh, do something, you know, this next generation, reinvigorate it with a new set of characters, further advanced. Yes, it had flaws, but it was still enjoyable. Even with DS9, okay, we're going to be at the edge of the universe where maybe we're going to see a rougher version of Starfleet and, and the characters and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's part of me, like when I saw that first episode of Discovery, was missing. It's like, what is the, the point? Not a theme, but, you know, what is the worldview? What is the whole, like the nugget, the the pillar that we're going to rest the show on. And I think, you know, whether it's the Kirk timeline or the future or whatever, it just needs to have that. Otherwise all that it is that's Trek is, you know, phasers, transporters, warp drive, and some, you know, lip service to, you know, we're better in the future. Mm -hmm. So.
0: Well, I think with that, we have to, bring a bring a close to our discovery chat just because we're running long on time here um, yeah hopefully hopefully Star Trek will find its path um, so real quick uh, gentlemen where can people find you whether they want to reach out to you and 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 lambast your opinions about discovery and hunt you down or, or where can people follow you and what are you working on if there's anything you you want to promote
3: uh, well uh My wife, Tiffany Schaefer, and I run Otherworld Theater Company in Chicago, um, which is all science fiction and fantasy theater. Um, And we have a space um, on Clark Street uh, that you are welcome to come in and yell at me um, if you think that my opinions are stupid. Um, My only stipulation is that you buy a drink and see a show. Um, (laughs) And uh, I i'm on twitter although i'm not really much of a twitterer um i exclusively retweet Otherworld things uh on twitter that's why my twitter exists um and facebook uh and basically my whole online persona is is basically through otherworld um and uh you can check out otherworldtheater.org um to see all the stuff that we're doing um, that's theater with an R-E uh, at the end, the correct way to spell it. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what about you?
2: Sure. Well, I will second uh, all the great work that Otherworld does. Uh, I love their stuff, and I promote them as a outsider on the work. I also am associated with uh, Edge of Orion uh, Theater Company here in Chicagoland, so edgeoforion.com. Orion has also made appearances on this mm-hmm. podcast as well. Uh, we work uh, to make uh, community th- or make theater accessible for uh, marginalized community and kids with exceptionalities. We have our latest Star Wars fan film called Easy Target making the fan film runs and we are working on our Lord of the Rings prequel series uh, that takes place during the second age uh, as well so look for both of those on there as well. Uh,
1: yeah uh, I'm uh, you could well. You can find me, Dominic Chianciolo, on Twitter uh, at Uh You can yell at me there. A lot of people do, so have at it. I won't necessarily reply. Um, I've been meaning to yell at you.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Found all the other crazy things that get tweeted at me. Um, uh, for those who don't know, I work for NetherRealm Studios who make Mortal Kombat, and depending on when this airs, uh, the our DLC character Sindel will either have just released or will be released, and we had a lot of fun with that. She's a fan favorite, and and that'll be great to see her out in the wild.
0: Um I'm going to piggyback off of everyone uh yes if you're in chicago please go and and check out other world theater they are fantastic uh the paragon festival uh still runs there every year right dylan you still have oh yeah it's it's
3: it's this weekend oh
0: well this podcast will come out after that but (laughs) next year you should check out the paragon festival um also check out edge of orion easy target has been going into a lot of different festivals and i'm really excited to see all the success that that has garnered because I know Orion put a ton of work into that. Uh, definitely play Mortal Kombat, uh, which it, Chris is in, which which I'm in. Uh, it's not safe for work, so you know, parental guidance suggested. Uh, and listen to my podcast. Uh, you brought up that Tiffany uh, has been on the show before. I think she was on our Ray Bradbury discussion back in the day. Um, we have a lot of different episodes that have come out this year. We did an episode on Skyward Sword. We're going to be discussing Breath of the Wild. We looked at the MCU. We talked about Game of Thrones. So we've had a lot of... It's been a big year for nerds. There's been a lot of huge nerdy things that have happened this year, ending with uh, Star Wars, ironically, with the rise of Skywalker. So... doesn't it always
3: end with star wars
0: always always (laughs) end with star wars that's a smart that's a smart choice that's what that's what star trek should do is just go on and end with star wars (laughs) um gentlemen thank you so much for coming out and chatting with me tonight about um star trek discovery i've been your host chris bashan and chatting with me about star trek discovery have been
1: dominic chancelo
3: ryan bond and dylan schaefer thank you and have a good evening Thank you.